Ignition sequence start. Five, four, three, two. This is the Breaking Barriers Podcast. The conversation about changing the narrative for boys and young men of color in Western New York. Let's go. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Dwayne Sawyer. We are back today with another video. Y'all, we got Xavier Lamar back once again. Thank you for coming. Welcome. And we got Daniel Robinson, you know, the original host, but I took over. You know how that go. Mm-hmm. Pass another torch, man. Oh. Yeah, to pass another torch. <laughs> but um, y'all, we got a special guest, Mr. Ryan Tillman. Ryan, what's going on? Welcome. What's going on? Good people. Man, so Ryan, you've you've done a lot. We heard some amazing news about you. You know, you you got Southern California on lock. What's some of the issues that come when facing being an officer and a citizen at the same time? So so let me I'll go back and so um I had no aspirations of being a police officer, man. Like I I, I couldn't stand cops growing up. Uh, I had some bad run-ins with police officers growing up. Um, I would always tell people, man, like cops were guys that got picked on in high school, so they became cops so they could pick on everybody else. Like, <laughs> that, like that was like my mentality growing up, you know what I mean? And so when I became, uh, like, you know, fast forward, me and my wife got married, and then we got married, uh, what do you call it? We, uh, she got pregnant with our first son, and I was, at the time I was doing insurance and, you know, that was like an up and down roller coaster. And so my wife was looking at me like, bro, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and make these ends, these consistent ends. <laughs> so, um, you know, I had a, my dad's friend was a police officer and, you know, he was like, Ryan, you should go into the force. And I was like, nope, like, I'm not working for the man. I'm not about to be a pig. Like that was my mentality. And uh, I prayed about it and God just kind of opened the door for me. And so um, even when I got in, I still didn't know if this is what I wanted to do. I felt like every time I pulled somebody over, I felt like I was messing with them. It felt like everybody I talked to somebody, it felt like I was messing with them. And it wasn't until I got off of training that um, I really realized that I could make a genuine impact as a police officer and just a human in general. And so when that started happening, man, like I just started seeing like the profession, like way different, like stuff that the general public doesn't understand or will never know just because they're not an officer. And so I, I felt in my heart, I felt compelled, especially right around the time when Michael Brown had got killed, I felt compelled to share a narrative uh, that kind of humanized law enforcement a little bit more, which centered around a conversation that I had from my mom. And she asked herself the question, like, hey, what would my son have done in that situation had he been, you know, faced with the same exact thing? And she was like, he probably would have done the same thing, but it wasn't from no place of corruption. It's uh, from a place of my son wants to come home to his wife and kids. And, you know, I have a loving son, all that other stuff. So that's what kind of got my wheel spinning. And I realized like, you know, uh, I'm still Ryan Tillman, like just because I carry a badge and a gun, I'm no stronger. I'm no weaker than any other human being. I have a job to do and I'm always going to do my job, but you know, people need to see the humans behind the work that we do. And so that's when my whole initiative started about five years ago with Breaking Barriers United. Wait, um, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. Breaking yep. United, you know, I was looking into it and I just want to, I just want to take my hat off to you, man. Amazing program. Amazing program. I see that you're constantly involved with the youth in your city. You're a peer mentor. You're on the move. You, you inspired a lot of teens and people in general. How, like, how does that feel to know that you are one of the role models that you needed growing up? Man, uh, it really, for me, just reemphasizes that value isn't always associated to money. 
Mm. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, we live in a society now, especially with social media that, you know, you got to have the nice cars, you got to have the nice house, you got to have the dope job, the, you know, the dope entertainment career. And so we, we've been lulled to sleep and thinking that our value was attached to money. But what I've realized is value is attached to what legacy you leave behind for those that come after you. And so by working with the youth and seeing their deepest needs, their desires, their desire for mentorship, their desire for a dad, their desire for a big brother, and being able to meet that need in some capacity is really transformed my life in so many different ways, man. Like, that's true value. And so it's funny, I, um, I just got hit up today by, uh, I think it was a, it's a, a university out here, in, actually in Arizona, to go speak and do a presentation. And obviously in light of the whole COVID thing and, you know, people, you know, a lot of res uh, schools pulling back resources and things like that because everybody's hurt financially. I kind of thought it was interesting that they still reached out to me and asked me, you know, to come out there and speak even with the financial hardships. But it got me thinking, it was like, it's not because money is a tight or it's not because value is a tight to money. Value is attached to like what you bring, like how, what, how can you help me? How can you help my people? And so when you come and when you look at it from that aspect, every single one of us can make an impact in the world, no matter where you're at, if you can add value to another person's life. And so by me speaking in schools and by doing after school programs, man, it's changed my life because I've honestly realized what true value means. Wow. And, and it's crazy to think just seven years ago, you probably wouldn't even have decided to become a cop. Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, um, I wanted to be a bit, I went to college, I played football at UNLV and I uh, got a, a scholarship at UNLV, played football there. Wow. Always wanted to be a business owner. And, um, when I, uh, became a police officer, I was like, well, there goes my dreams of being a business owner. <laughs> and little did I know what God had in store for me. God had, a, God had a business for me, mm -hmm. but it was in a place for me to be better used as opposed to doing something that's really not going to leave any lasting value or legacy for anybody else other than just a product that's going to perish the moment I die. I heard you use the word legacy. What does legacy mean to you? Shoot, man. Legacy is, is what you leave behind for those when you, when you leave this earth. So my grandfather always tell me like, Ryan, like when you walk into a room, like when you leave, like that room should be better than what it is that you, what it was when you walked in. Right. And so like my son, I have my oldest son, uh, he's like six years old right now. And man, like, that kid wants to be a, a, a police officer and like that's all he wants to do because he sees his dad right so like that kid loves being law enforcement but and he doesn't see the world like we see it right he's not he's not seeing the you know the situation we happened the other day with with uh with george floyd he's not seeing that he just sees it from the eyes of his dad i see it for what it really is i see its realities i see the 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 places that we need to make uh, repairs in law enforcement and the community. And so if my son genuinely wants to go into law enforcement, I have an obligation and duty to go out and make this profession the best I could ever make it. Because why would I not want my son to go into something that's better than what it was when I got there? And not only that, why would I not want him to go into a profession that's now safer because of the work that I did before him? So we talk about legacy. For me, legacy is doing something that others are going to benefit from in the future. Right, right, right. That's perfect. That's a perfect example. Um, we got some questions for you, and I want to shoot it over to Xavier, and then we're going to head to Daniel. Let's do it. 
Yep. So I want to ask this quick question. You seem to be, I did a little research on you, you seem to be a community icon. So it seems like you are very connected with your community. So I just wanted to see if, uh, what is it like taking off that badge when it's time, like when you're on the force, you know, you're doing your job as a police, but then when you come home, like you're with the community, like how do they, I don't know how to put it, like how is, how do they tolerate you, like would you say the relationship between you and your community is very good or is there sometimes hostility because you're a cop? So what's funny is the only time the badge really means something for me is from a tactical standpoint. And what I mean by that is like, when I put a badge on, I recognize I have a job to do. And when I put that uniform on, there's certain things that I have to be aware of, be observant of just because it could cost me or my partners my life. Mm -hmm. Outside of that aspect of it, when I put that badge and uniform on, like the funny thing is when you guys get to know me more is you'll find out I'm the same exact person. And so like when, when I'm dealing with folks on the street, they're like, man, you a cool cat. It's like, yeah, bro. Cause I'm Ryan Tillman. Like, this is just me. Like I'm not here trying to, trying to be somebody I'm not now. And I tell folks too, like, look, man, like I'm going to treat you with respect without a doubt. But the moment you start treating me with disrespect, don't be surprised when I start meeting you with disrespect back. Not to say that I'm going to put you in some type of danger, but I'm always going to give you respect. I always lead with respect. And so, but that's not because I learned that as a police officer. That's just kind of how I grew up. And so it's the same way when I go home. Like, you know, I'm always going to be the same cat. And so, you know, it really, I don't really necessarily see too much differences between when I go home and, and, and take off the uniform and when I come to work and put on the uniform. Um, it was funny, man. We had a, literally like three nights ago, I, I responded to a stabbing. Some dude got stabbed like nine times. Mm -hmm. And so when we rode up on the scene, um, you know, his girl like was super like crazy. Like, man, like she made things so much worse because we're trying to take the suspect into custody mm -hmm. and the suspect's girl was just coming out like, no, you can't take him. Just like making this scene like just way worse. So anyways, she barricaded herself inside the house. So she goes inside the house. So now we out here way longer than we expect. That's probably when my back hurt because I was out there so long and you know, <laughs> I'm hungry at this point. So I start talking to her and as I'm talking to her, she like, we start conversing a little bit. And she was like, wait, 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 who are you? She was like, Tillman. I was like, yeah, girl. <laughs> like, I wouldn't even be tripping like that. Like, so that relationship that I built with her before she even barricaded herself inside that house, paid dividends because she ended up coming out surrendering without any other problems. But it wasn't because I sweet talked her. It was because I just was me on prior contacts with her, treated her respectfully, had a job to do. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, that's not because I put a badge and gun on. It's just because I've always been me. And that's why I always tell other officers, like, you got to be the best version of yourself and don't get it twisted. Like, just because you put that badge and your gun on, don't mean you're any other, any different than any other person. And so it really doesn't affect me on or off duty when I, you know, just because I'm always going to be me. I heard you mention, you know, it's the way you talk to people that solidifies the reaction from them. And honestly, if you were to come in with an attitude and, you know, the person, you never know how that person may be having, you know, a bad day or what, you know, whatever the case may be, a situation can escalate from zero to a hundred real fast. And in cases like that, what do you do personally to deescalate the situation? So there's a, there's this phrase that's called low and slow. Um, so I, I just got in training and I use a lot of examples because I feel like examples are the best way for people to learn. 
So I, I do a lot of training. I just got in training a new officer. And uh, one of the things, we, we went on a call last week, and this guy was, like, super, super hot. Like, he had been drinking. He's in the middle of the street yelling at people, cussing folks out. And so when he made his initial approach, and mind you, I'm just observing because I got to train him. He made his initial approach, and it was, like, very robotic. And mind you, he's a new officer, so he doesn't really know any better. Very robotic, sir. I need you to need you to listen to me, sir. Comply with me, or force is going to be used against you. All of, and like what he was, what he was missing was he was he didn't see the deeper rooted issue. The guy kept saying, "Man, like you got my wife is locked up," or "Man, like my dad, all he keeps doing, I can't." You know, me and my dad are getting into it. Like I'm seeing what's going on. I'm hearing what's going on. Mm -hmm. So when I approached him, I kind of stepped in. I was like, "Hey, bro, like man, I get it, bro. Like it sucks. You're having a bad day. Like." I can't even begin to describe like your dad's probably pissing you off. I get it, man. But can you do me a favor, man? Just take a seat real quick and we'll, we'll I'll let you know why we're here. and We'll get this all squared away. Completely dope. Opposite approaches. Mine was low and slow. His was more of like, Hey, more firm. Exactly. And that D and that deescalated him essentially to getting him to do what we needed to do now. However, during that whole contact, my man still started, he was very, he was on a roller coaster and a lot of that stuff is drug-related, stuff like that. So, you know, when I always tell the community, it's like we always can't assume that everybody is the most perfect human being either because mm -hmm. that dude started tripping after a while. We actually ended up having to tie his legs up because my man started kicking and he had steel-toe boots on and this whole nine yards. So, uh, but my, my approach to de-escalation is this low and slow method. They teach you the crisis negotiation, low voice and slow tone. If you can do that, you know, people can hear you because if I come at you like, hey, dog, what's up? What's up? What's up? You're going to get like that, especially where I'm from and where you guys are probably from. But if I come from a reaction. Exactly. But if I come a low and slow, hey, man, I get it, man. I'm sorry, bro. Like, but can we just calm down? Then it almost makes that other person feel like, shoot, why am I yelling at this dude right now? Mm -hmm. Well, Daniel, I know you've been over there. You've been quiet. You ready? <laughs> Very good. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, man, thanks again for uh, for jumping on with us, man. I've been uh, following you on, on social media or on Instagram since uh, Jamil kind of uh, brought you to our attention. And uh, we started following on our Breaking Barriers page, too. So Appreciate um, it, man. I'm, I'm going to follow back, too. I got to – my bad. I'll follow back. I think I, I know I follow Jamil, but, yeah. Cool. No doubt. Um, so an observation of your Instagram page, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was besides just uh, Breaking Barriers uh, United – I noticed that you started these, uh, uh, I don't want to call them episodes, but um, in a sense, yeah, uh, these uh, little takes where you do, I think it's Tillman like, the Tillman takes. And then I love the uh, the piece that you did, because uh, Bad Boys is like legit one of my oh, favorite. Oh, yeah. Too, we right? got some more. Yeah, we got some more of those, too. So those uh, real or not, those, those, I know you started those sessions. So can you talk a little bit about why you, uh, you started those? Yeah, without a doubt, man. So... Mind you, when I when we go back, I told you guys, when I started law enforcement, before I started law enforcement, I had this preconceived notion of all law enforcement officers. What changed my notion was me actually or physically getting put in positions that to the public's eye may look bad, but me knowing a totality of things, it changed things completely. There was a situation that happened to me, and I can't get into the specifics of it because it's still under investigation. Got it. What I can tell you is an officer-involved shooting. And during that officer-involved shooting, a lot of things happened that led up to that shooting. Now, thankfully, nobody was hurt. Not even the suspect was hurt. Um, he actually was taken into custody and everything like that. But 
when it all comes out and when you when the video comes out, it's gonna look like me actually probably shooting at a person that's running away from me. But there are so many aspects that went into that call that the public would never even know. Like threat to human life, threat to officers, threats with a weapon, multiple uh, less lethal options that were that tried to be used that didn't work. But you will never see none of that, never. And you know what I mean? And so until like they release, you know, radios and all other stuff. So what I'm trying to get at is, is when I do Tillman takes, I start realizing, putting myself in the situation and, and I want to create this mindset of why officers may or may not use force. And that is a huge, that takes a huge part in whether or not something is justified or not justified as an officer's mindset. What was his mindset? So when we look at a video, when we view a video, we view it from an emotional standpoint. It's just natural. Uh, one of the best videos that I can use it as an example for this is when Alton Sterling was killed. When you watch the Alton Sterling video, it is very hard to watch because you have officers on there saying, you know, stop resisting, take your hands. If you don't, I'm going to put a mother effing cap in your head, this and that. Like, they're talking to him like they're some thugs, straight up. Like, that's yeah, what it's like. You know, that's what it sounds like. But if you actually go back and look at the investigation, you look at what was said about the investigation, even the civil rights activists did their own investigation, and everybody classified it as a justified shooting. And people were wondering, like, how is that? Well, this is how. Well, we all watched it as from an emotional standpoint. But when you break it down, you break down the mindset. Alden Sterling did have a firearm in his pocket. Alden Sterling was resisting with officers. He wasn't complying with their commands. Alden Sterling was reaching towards the, the, his, his pockets. Officers used deadly force because they determined that they, were, they were, had an imminent threat for their safety. And so when you look at it from different perspectives, one from a factual standpoint, the mindset, what was going into it, it, it paints a completely different picture. So that's why I always preach to officers is be mindful of how you talk to people. Be mindful of what you're saying. Because if you're saying like, hey, I'm going to put a mother effing cap in your head, that is showing to me if I'm the viewer like, hey, you have an intent to kill this dude from the jump. It may not be your actual intent, but it, it sure does appear to it. So I started these Tillman takes because I realized like, there's a lot of stuff that people don't understand that aren't in the profession of why an officer may use force on something. I, I showed a video a few weeks ago of the officer in South Carolina or North Carolina that was shot. The, the guy had a, a, a gun in his pocket and the officer presented a taser with him. Well, one of the things I always get is, how come the officer couldn't use a taser? Well, that was a prime example. He came out with a taser and that was the wrong choice. And the dude ended up getting shot in his neck and twice in his arm. So let's go back and let's just say that that officer were to come out with a gun and the dude brandished a cell phone and the officer shot him, would he be wrong? And everybody at home would be like, man, why would he shoot a dude he only had a cell phone in his hand? But it happens like that. Like, how do we make that judgment call? So there's a certain place in our society and a certain need for these Tillman takes because I need to be able to slow it down and say, this is what officers could be thinking. This is a process and this is coming from an officer who's been in situations. But I, you guys know me, or you guys have hopefully seen my page enough to know that I will call a spade a spade. George Floyd, it was uncalled for. It was unnecessary. He should have never been killed. That officer should have never, should have released his grid. He should have, you know, checked on his well-being. That officer needs to be, he was fired, and he needs to be prosecuted. It is what it is. I've, I've called many of those officers out when they are in the wrong. Okay. And we're going to, we, I definitely can appreciate that, man. And that's one of the things I, I've actually liked uh, about your approach and in regards to breaking those videos down. Um, we, we have a, uh, right now we have a daily breaking barriers call with our young men that we, that we work with. And today we were actually discussing the George Floyd situation. 
and a number of, I'm, I'm sure you've been following the news in regards to just what's going on in Minneapolis and even a couple of weeks ago, uh, what happened down in Louisville with the young lady who lost her life when uh, officers entered her home. Mm-hmm. Even, a couple, Taylor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had an incident with an officer who uh, has a reputation for uh, using excessive force, especially with people of color. Yeah. Um, and that I don't know if you've seen that video floating around anywhere. Maybe I can share it with you later on if you haven't seen it, but um, a lot of our young men are really bothered and upset and uh, angry, angry behind uh, this this most recent incident. And the thing that I can't get out of my mind is we've we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. We continue to see it. Um, and this most recent incident really struck me because we've heard those words before. I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how anyone watching that video, even the officer that was uh, involved in that act, when you heard those words, that it didn't trigger something in your like a chord. in your mind, right? Um, so, I guess my question for you is: When does this? When do these types of acts stop? Like, what is it? What needs to happen? What needs to occur to ensure that these things don't continue to happen? Because it's really, it's, it takes a toll on everyone. So, so what I want to, what I want to go back to is something you said that's critical with for this conversation is one of the things you said is you said, we've seen it before. And so one of the things that I recognized when I became an officer is that we use force on a lot of people, a lot of people, black, white, Asian. I can't tell you how many people I've used force on. And there's so many, this is like a, um, it's like a, a very complex onion with so many deeper layers to it because you got to, we all know we started in a country that was not free. Like, you know, a lot of folks like make it out to be, we had slavery. We had civil rights issues. My grandfather's 95 years old and can still recall being on a plantation. So a lot of places where we've started in this country, the, the deeper rooted issues that started with racism and everything like that still linger today. The hard part we're having is distinguishing, okay, what's racism and what's not. And so when we talk about, we've seen it before, those words, we've seen this before, this is where it comes to, and this is what, you know, light bulb for me was, we have to recognize that a lot of people put out in the media this stuff because if we and this is one of the realities that we as black people as minorities have a hard time stomaching is this stuff sells con it does it it does like because if if a, if a white guy kills a black dude boom there it is but the reality of it is in my job i'm telling you guys this and this is pure coming from pure experience we have gotten officers have gotten in so much troubles for using force on people that weren't black on top of that is officers are getting punished. Officers are going to jail. I know a lot of officers that went to jail, you know what I mean, for doing something they should have done. We actually, at my agency, I'm not going to bring it up, but we had an officer be walked out of the department and taken straight to jail. And it was crazy. And the chief was like, we're not, we're not standing by that. And so what I'm getting at is not to say that racism doesn't exist in law enforcement, because there are definitely some people that are probably racist for sure. Not to say that uh, police brutality hasn't occurred in law enforcement and, and it still does occur somewhere, but we, we can't be led to believe that this is what the reality is in law enforcement that we're living in. 
I'm going to give you some numbers. I actually brought them up earlier. I was doing another podcast and these are very, very conservative numbers, very, very conservative numbers. So 20,000 arrests are made per day, 20 or 29,000 arrests made per day, 10.5 million arrests made per year, 40,000 contacts made per day. And this is just like dispatch calls. And that's very conservative numbers, very, very conservative. So 40,000, uh, times an officer will contact somebody from the public and that's on a call for service. That's not an officer actually going out and talking to somebody in the community. And then 14.6 million contacts per year by law enforcement. And this is on a, on a national basis. Those are conservative numbers. I'm not a numbers guy. I hate getting into to arguments with people based on, you know, this per play. I, I hate doing those arguments. But the reason I'm bringing it up for this specific thing is because if you got to realize like we are in a profession where we are contacting people thousands of times per day my me alone my just me when i go to work any given day i'm going to probably go on about 20 to 30 calls for service the amount of times that we're actually using force on somebody is less than one percent the actual amount of times that we're actually killing somebody is less than that the actual amount of times that an officer will go his whole career without actually ever pulling his trigger is very high most officers will go a whole police career without actually ever pulling the trigger but if you look at what's being out there, it almost feels like it happens all the time. And so what I mean, what I'm getting at is that mm. we have to get, we have to do more research. We have to dig deeper into each situation and we have to make everything. We have to isolate the situation for what it is, as opposed to lumping it into to this whole pot. I work with a lot of white officers. Uh, a lot of those guys are good guys. They, they, they have. Me, they've saved me. I've also seen them as minority. And so if they were to be in a video tomorrow of them using force on somebody, they get painted with this broad brush that now all of a sudden they're racist. And so we have to just be careful with that. Like I said, it's not to say that racism doesn't exist, but this whole thing with George Floyd, if we honest, if we're all going to be honest with ourselves right now in this conversation, how can we legitimately come out and say this was a racist act just based on watching a seven minute video? Like we have to think about like, how can we honestly say it was like we can go based off of our prior experiences, like what we've seen, but just by watching a seven minute video, how can we say it was a race, like it was racially geared, like this was racially motivated? I think if you honest, my honest opinion on this is that I don't, I can't, he could be, for all I know, he could be a racist. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know off of a seven minute video. This dude could, we'd have to go back and see, hey, is he, is he arresting more minorities than white people? Is he using force on more minorities than white people? Does he have social media pages that he's, he's saying, you know, uh, all these racial slurs and things like that? That's how we start to paint this up is this was, this was racially motivated. But by watching a seven-minute clip, it's hard to say this was racially motivated. What I personally believe it was, I, had this, I think this had an issue to do with pride. This was centered around pride. You have an officer on somebody's neck, and you have all these bystanders telling the officer what to do. Hey, take your knee off of his neck. Hey, check his polls. Hey, do this, do that. And you have an officer that's so prideful that if he, the moment he removes his knee from that neck, he has to tell the community. That's basically like him telling the community, like, you're right. You're right. I, you know, you're right. So I think that this was very heavily geared on pride. It could be racist again, but we can't necessarily say off of a seven minute video that this was based on racism just because we, I don't know that. I don't know this track, this officer's track record. I don't. Um, I got a question. So yeah, there's five levels, if I'm not mistaken, for the use of force. The continuum. Yeah, the continuum. Can you tell us a little bit about the continuum? 
Yeah, so so the, the there's there's different levels of force that we can use, and what it's called is called the use of force continuum. What it means is basically when we are in when we're doing a job and we have to utilize force, and it goes back to case law, is Graham versus Connor, and Graham versus Connor basically is a three prong test. What an officer has to consider is these three things before utilizing forces. The severity of the crime, is he actively fleeing or resisting, or does he pose an imminent threat to the public? If, he, if, if there's someone else, one of those three things is going on, then the officer can utilize reasonable force to affect their arrest, overcome resistance, or prevent escape. So, and I'm sorry for speaking fast, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get to a point. So within all of that, if we do have to use force, reasonable force, there's a continuum of force options that we can use. Some of them may be a taser, some of them may be pepper spray, some of them may be lethal options like a gun, or batons, all these other things. So what it used to be, it used to be like there was levels to it. Hey, I have to start here, and then I have to get to here in order for me to do this. It used to be like a level, like you have to go here, A, B, C. killing somebody. That's at the top of the list. That's number five. Exactly. So, but the reason why they got away from that is like, hey, you have to start at step one, step two, step three, step four, step five before you can get to killing somebody. The reason they got away from that is because they realized that situations happen quickly, and I may start, I may have intentions to use the taser, but this escalated into an imminent threat where now is a deadly threat. And so now I utilize my, my, my deadly force option. And so on that continuum, it's forever evolving. And this is where some officers make the mistake mm -hmm. is that if a person is offering resistance to me at that point in time, I have to use whatever force I deem to be reasonable at that time. The moment that person stops being a resistance to me, I now have to go back and change whatever level of force I'm doing. Exactly. As a prime example, if I'm carrying an assault rifle, if I'm shooting many people, and you guys roll up on me as the officers, I put that rifle down, put my hands up in the air. At that point in time, that level of force now needs to change from lethal force to me taking you into custody because I'm no longer an imminent threat to you. And so what we've seen, and this is where the racial stuff gets into it, is people will say, well, it feels like if this was a black guy, he would have been shot, as opposed to a white guy, he would have been taken into custody. I understand it. I understand the emotional appeal to it. But let's just make sure we investigate it from an isolated incident as opposed to painting everything with the same thing. Because like, like any other criminal, whatever we do arrest people, everybody deserves a due process. And if I were to arrest you today for doing a crime, you're going to expect me or you're going to expect the system to give you the due process to be heard out as opposed to saying, hey, look, you're guilty today, right now. So right. sorry for going so fast. It's all good. So, Ryan, I want to I I push a little bit because Please, I love it. the incident with George Floyd, while I'm not going to – I can't go out on a limb and say it was racially motivated, nor was that the – that wasn't the point I was trying to make by bringing it up, but – I can't understand the use of the 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 method of force that he went to try to do uh, a a perp a, a suspect Mr. Lloyd Mr. Floyd in in, in this instant. I I've I could I'm not I'm not an expert in law enforcement, but I don't know of any officers that have been trained to actually use a knee to the throat as a oh. method of subduing a person and then keeping it there when uh, that person is crying out for their mother, saying they can't breathe. They have they're fearful of their life. Uh, that I, that I just don't understand. So, and, and you're not. And I want you to know you're not pushing. You're absolutely correct. First of all, we don't train to put a knee on somebody's throat. Just, we just don't do it. Do we train to put a knee on somebody's back sometimes? Yes, up in the upper back because that way we can control them. But they still can utilize their neck and still open that airway. So. We don't train that way. If they do that in Minneapolis, they need to change their training methods. So I absolutely agree with you on that. 
The second thing is, is that two things. If let's say Mr. Floyd was utilizing for, uh, he was offering resistance, which I've kind of heard some things. And if, even if it was drug related, whatever, I've dealt with guys that are on drugs and stuff like that. We have to subdue them. We have to put them on the ground, have to keep them on their chest. But the moment they stop resisting, the moment they're handcuffed, you now need to go into helping them out. Give them some air, roll them on the side, sit them up in a seated position, put a spit sock on them if he's spitting. There's other things that you can do. So what it, what we saw in that video was completely unacceptable because that's not what we trained to do. The other thing is, is we're not, if somebody's offering, somebody's saying, I need help, I can't breathe, we have an obligation as police officers to help them out. We mm -hmm. have to. And so I, I, what I want the community to understand is we have people in our, and the reason one of our jobs is one of the most hardest jobs is because you got to realize that every single day I go to work, somebody's going to lie to me without a doubt. Because people, that's what they do. They lie to me. Every single thing, because they're either trying to get out of arrest, they're trying to flee from me, or they ain't trying to get caught. So that's all we deal with. So you got to realize 90% of the context I have with people, people are lying to me. And so when a person tells me, I, I've, I've heard so many people before tell me they can't breathe, the handcuffs are too tight, all this other stuff. When they could breathe, then the handcuffs weren't tight. But as officers, what I tell the officers is just because you think they're lying, it doesn't mean that we don't check. Because I don't want to be that officer that was like, oh, I think he's lying, so I ain't going to check. No. The officer, even if the officer who was apprehended, Mr. Floyd, was thinking he was lying when he said he wasn't breathing, why, why, have, why have your knee on his neck? Now, yeah. would you be able to breathe? Think about it. Would you be able to breathe if somebody had their knee on your neck for seven minutes? That's why it's completely unacceptable. And that's why we don't train. There were no that's commands why. being given. There were no nope. commands being given. Nope. He, was under, he was already detained. I agree. Therefore, so, why was he even on the ground at that and, point? And uh, to take it a step further, have you guys ever heard of the term excited delirium? No. I actually heard you use it on one of your... Uh, one, my, one, man, my man, I appreciate <laughs> you. I appreciate you. So, excited delirium is something like that people can... It's usually drug-induced. And when, you, uh, when a person's going through excited delirium, it's crazy. It's almost like looking at some zombie stuff. Like, people are not talking to you. Like, they're literally the PCP... Uh, some bad methamphetamine, like it will make you turn into basically a superhuman. And what's happening internally, your body is your body is internally heating up. So when you see people utilizing and taking off their clothes from PCP, it's because their body is hot. That's what they're getting rid of it. And so what happens in that is now they went but from using that drugs, they're now starting to transition into a medical emergency. So any officer that's properly trained, one of the things they teach you is if you suspect a person is going through an episode of excited delirium, the moment you have him detained, you need to try to start getting him on his side or getting him face up so that way he can breathe. That's the only way because if you start restricting that airway, he will go to an, into a cardiac arrest. They teach us that stuff. And so let's just say, because I know they were saying, well, George Floyd might have been under the influence of drugs. Even if he was, whether he was or he wasn't, I'm not going to judge that man for that. But those officers need to be, they need to be trained to recognize, like, is this guy going to go into a medical emergency if we do think he's utilized, if he's under drugs? Because that's what I, I one of the reports that I heard was that he was resisting officers, acting crazy and stuff like that. So I can easily see how a situation can go from to the position that they're in. I can easily see that. Like, if I, if I saw that video and it was like, 30 seconds long and I saw these guys on top of them subduing him, I can easily see that. The knee on the neck, made, like, it shouldn't have been there. But I can easily see that stuff happens so quickly you get on a, a, a put a knee on a guy's back and your knees start sliding up because you're trying to wrestle with them. I can see that. I can see how something like that happened. The reason why this one, there's no explanation for it, is because once you got the guy subdued, now you have to switch and transition. You have to evolve into helping this guy out. 
Don't just sit there. Don't keep your, and even at that point in time, that would be the point in time that you see, oh shoot, my knee is on this dude's neck. I need to move it back down to his back. So that's why I'm saying like these officers were wrong because this is not what we train. And it's not at that video I just made, like this is not a reflection of what I signed up to do. Like I signed up to help people. I signed up to save people. And a majority of people in law enforcement, that's what we all signed up to do. And so that was not a reflection of what we stand for as police officers in this profession. Last point I want to make uh, before we uh, segue to a, a different part of our conversation today um, regarding this is uh, what do you think the, what's the responsibility of the, of, of the other officers in, uh, in that situation while that is occurring? Because there were a number of, you know, individuals watching this, uh, you know, uh, bystanders watching this. And then there were other officers that were there that mm-hmm. weren't directly involved, but they could see what was occurring. So how, how should other officers respond in a situation like that? So I'm going to tell you guys, like I tell my team. So I'm a supervisor at work and I tell my guys that I work with, I say, look, just like we hold the, the community accountable if they commit a crime and they go to jail, we need to hold ourselves accountable. And that means if y'all see Corporal Tillman, Ryan Tillman, whatever y'all want to call me, y'all see me losing my effing mind going off on somebody when I shouldn't be going off on somebody, pull me back, mm-hmm. pull me back immediately. And yeah, I may be upset, but I'm going to thank you later because I have a life beyond just me being a police. I've got a wife. I got three kids. You guys can't afford to lose your job. Pull me back. I'm giving y'all the freedom to pull me back. But then we also have to go back to this side is like, we also have to go back to human nature and by nature, but what you guys are doing is leading from the front. You guys are doing something that most people aren't going to do. This is why I get so frustrated with people that are looting and all the other stuff and breaking into people's stuff. I get it. You're upset, but there's better ways to make a change. There's better. It's doing stuff like what you guys are doing, what I'm doing. And so that being said is most people have this sheep mentality. You look at any profession, any profession, if they see or know of an employee doing something wrong, it's very hard for them to step up and call them out on it. Why? Because it's going to make them look like one, a snitch two, like, Oh shoot, I don't have the courage and balls to say, Hey, look, stop and do what you're doing. What you're doing is no different in law enforcement. Is it justified? It not at all. So the proper response for the officer should be "Hey, man, stop, like let them breathe, help them out. But the human nature side of it is people forget like law enforcement officers were still human beings. And so the human side of them is like, man, like I don't, man, that's my sergeant right there. Like, that's my boss. Like, shoot, what, 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 what's everybody going to say to me? It's not because they're trying to uphold this brotherhood. It's just like, shoot, I, do I want to be the guy that's making my other, my, my buddy look bad? You know what I mean? My friend look bad. And so, yes, we have an obligation. If we see somebody doing something wrong, an officer doing something wrong, we have an obligation to make sure we stop and do it. It's just, it's a lot easier said than done. I'll say that. Okay. Um, Okay. Thanks for that, Ryan. Yeah, we appreciate it. My bad if I was like speaking loud, bro. You know how I get, I get passionate. No, you're good. That's passion and excitement, man. We love that. I, I, I get there too. I was actually there with the young men today when we were having this conversation. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad. I, we- and you know what's funny? What's funny is, man, I love, I do a lot of podcasts. I do episodes with a lot of different people. But when you like with, with, you, with your folks, it's like, oh, shoot, I feel like I'm at home. Like we <laughs> using hands, talking, like just getting at it. I feel, I love that. I love that. No, I, I had a, one more question before we um, jumped off to a different topic. I wanted to say a lot of people say just cooperate. And in most cases, that work. And, but there's a lot of cases that it doesn't work. 
like you said, a lot of a lot of officers have high egos, some bigger than others, you know. So what's some of the methods that we could use as citizens to keep our safety and to stay alive? Especially young black boys, because I agree. It's man, man, I, I agree hundred percent. So I did a podcast episode a long time ago and one of I had a buddy of mine on there, his name is Tam. He's a he's a civil rights well, he's a, a an agent, a sports agent, but he's also a civil rights activist. And one of the things that he said that was profound to me was like, the time of the stop is not the time to argue. That's what court's for. And so we have this disposition, again, going back to human nature, that when we're being told to do something, we have to argue it if we don't think it's right. And we all know that. We being real with ourselves. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had my run-ins with a few law enforcement officers. <laughs> you know what I mean? I we... we we have this, and, and I get it, like, we have this disposition, like, man, like, nah, bro, you're going to hear my mind, like, nah, <laughs> you're not a, but at the same time, is arguing with that person, that officer worth it at the time of the stop? It's not. That's what court's for. That's what supervisors are. I'm telling you right now, law enforcement is under the scope right now that if you report something, it's going to be investigated. And so the, the road is showing it like, oh, no, we cover up. But I'm telling you right now, if you ask any police officer, do they have more stresses that are coming from internal or externally? Every single one of them is going to tell you, man, I'm more stressed about internal stresses than I am external. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble for that. I feel like I can't do this. I feel like I can't do that. It comes internally. So officers are getting in trouble for cussing at folks, all these other stuff. So if you're the person on that stop and you feel like you're being mistreated, be respectful. Just say yes, no. You don't have to get into this no long conversation. It's hard. And I see you breathing. Man, I see you breathing. Wait, wait, to an incident I had probably about <laughs> seven, eight years ago. And, and, and I can't, and I can't tell you, and I can't tell you, bro, like how hard it is as a person, as a man in general. I've been pulled over since being a police officer. But the thing is, is you got to remember who matters most to you. For me, my wife, and my three kids. I would hate that I didn't come home to my family because I chose to argue over something stupid with a police officer and I was shot and killed by that officer. Okay. The reason why is because another, the flip side of that is you got to understand something. I have a good buddy of mine. His name is Saint. Well, it's not his, his that's his state. He's a rap. He's a rapper, but he goes by Saint the Rapping Cop. He's on Instagram. Dope dude. Oh, do it for little Saint. Yeah, yeah, right. So <laughs> Saint, he's a police officer in, uh, in Baltimore. Black dude. We just had a conversation the other night he chased, essentially, long story short, he chased somebody. And after chasing him, he started wrestling with this individual. After wrestling with him, the dude pulled out a gun and shot him three times in the stomach. Two of them hit the vest, and one of them went through and through. And this was another black guy. And I, I'm just bringing up race for the sake of we don't know who to, how to differentiate. Because I've dealt with some white people that kill people. My point is this, is that one of the things that makes our job so hard is we don't know who we're talking to. We don't. You can be somebody, a really upstanding individual, doing what you got to do, you know, and I don't do that because I never met you. But you can also be somebody that just escaped from federal prison and you're not going back. In your mind, you're not going back. And so I'm just contacting you like it's any other thing. Little do I know that you're not going back to prison. Mm -hmm. And so the moment you start to argue with me, mm -hmm. that is a sign to me of deflection. And I show videos in my Tillman takes. I think one of the last ones I just did in Vegas was this guy was showing signs of deflection. Why, officer? He keeps, why, why? Why do you got to pull me over? Why are you stopping me? Do you even have a lawful reason? He's deflecting because in his mind, he knows he has two guns in that car. He's also wanted, and he knows that he's about to shoot with the officers. 
So he finds a premier opportunity when the officers drop their guard and he shoots both of those officers. And so as officers, we're watching these videos, we're training, we're knowing that at any given time something can happen. And if you start arguing with me on a stop, I'm perceiving it as what are you trying to hide from me? Are you trying to fight with me? Are you trying to run from me? When all, and all you're trying to do is just trying to justify your point of why you're not getting a ticket or why you don't believe you're doing what you're wrong. So to go to say the words just comply, it goes beyond that. And it goes back to a mindset and a mentality. The mentality is this, is like, look, you want to go home at night. You have a family that you care about. The officer has a family that they care about. And so just comply goes to just say, hey, look, if you have a complaint, file it after it. Don't argue then and there. And the other thing is not justifying officer's actions at all. But the other thing is you may be having a bad day. And so you end up going off on an officer and that officer takes it as a threat to him. So now he does something only because you're having a bad day as well as officers. Like I've gone on calls, literally in my, in my day job, I've gone on a drowning baby call that just drowned. He was a two year old little kid that drowned in a pool. After all that was said and done, after I gave CPR on him, after he lost his life, I still had another six hours of my shift left where I had to go deal with people that were arguing with each other, all that other stuff. You guys don't know that because you guys are just um, getting in art, you know what I mean? Right there. I want to keep, hold that thought, hold that thought. Mental health within the police force. Huge. Huge. Like it's really huge. I feel there should be evaluations monthly, but you know, that's just my perspective. I feel there should definitely be more evaluations with police officers to figure out what's going on on their day-to-day life, not just on, you know, inside the station, but on the outside too, because you never know how, you know, one of your fellow officers may be feeling heading into the job. So, so I love, so, oh man, you guys got me. So got me good. So look, check it out. Um, you're absolutely right. Mental health is huge. Mental health is huge. But remember I talked about that, that, that heavily layered onion and the peel, we peel it back. Mm-hmm. If you want to do mental health evaluations for officers every month, what are you going to require? Money. Because somebody got to do the evaluations, right? Yep. And so you go into, you look at the cities, and if you have a financially insolvent city, where's that money coming from? The people. But then you have a people that don't like police, right? So then if they don't like police, why would they give their money to a, a profession that I don't like? See, that's so, back. That goes back. So, so, my, so my, my point is this, is that as a people, we have to start reprioritizing things. Mm-hmm. I lived in Vegas for five years. And don't get me wrong, I had a blast when I lived in Vegas, man. I was going out every night. You know what I mean? But when I found out, when I went to the wind and found out that a DJ made $300,000 in one night for spinning, I'm like, shoot, how does this dude make $300,000 for spinning in a club? Where are our priorities at as a community? Whereas, like, I would rather have the dude that may have my life at his hands making some good money if I know for a fact that he's getting the training, he's getting the mental health. I, why would I not want that person to have everything he needs to be the best person he can be? Look at athletes. I was a college athlete. They spent a lot of money on college athletes. Why do they spend so much money on college athletes? Because they want us to perform optimally. Mm-hmm. I watched a video of Michigan's facility, their training facility, and they have a guy or they have a facility where you, as soon as you walk out of practice, it's called the wash. You take your pads off and then you walk this little, this little maze of a shower. Then you walk into like this little pool, an ice pool. You got to go to the other side of it. So that way, as soon as you get done practicing, they can ice you up right away. So why? So you're at your optimal performance for the next practice. Recover mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. Why, why are we not doing that for some of the professions that we need it the most? Doctors, 
lawyers or during this time. You know what I mean? And so the reality of it is, is I love your idea. Like, yeah. And I will tell you that there are some departments, my department included, that are investing heavily into peer support, mental health, all that stuff with the officers. My department is on the forefront of that. But you have to realize that not every city has those financial resources to do that. And so when they don't have the financial resources to do that, does that mean that problems are going to stop? Of course not. Problems are going to keep going. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. So there's a lot of layers to this, but it's going to start. We have as a people have to start reevaluating, reassessing our, the mindset, the priorities, where we're putting our money, getting involved in voting. So when we talk about our young brothers of color, telling them like start training them to start having that legacy that we talked about earlier for when their kids come up. One of the things I'm in the process of doing right now is trying to buy multi-unit housing out of California. Not because I'm trying to become some, some real estate module, but I recognize that if I can start developing wealth for myself away from law enforcement, what I'm doing now for my, I'm setting up my kids, my grandkids, my grand, grand, grandkids, that's generational wealth. That's something that we've been missing the boat as African-Americans is trying to educate our young brothers to do that. And so now by me the, getting real estate, now I'm pumping money into that local economy. When I pump money into that local economy, now that's pumping money into the local government, that, lo- that money that's going to the local government is now going back to the mental health training that we can get for these officers. Sorry about that, man. I'm tangent, man. My bad. Oh, man, you good, man. I want to um, yeah. set X up to uh, actually ask a question regarding just gun violence. Cause we've had, I mean, I don't know what it's like in, you know, the parts of Cali that you're, that you're working in and where you're from. Um, but you know, we see gun violence with uh, our young men of color Every know, day. all over. Right. And we work with an organization. We partner with an organization called cities United. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm not, not familiar with that one. So cities United actually want to kind of talk a little bit about what we've been doing with cities United in regards to gun violence. Yeah. So with gun violence, we've been trying to like, I work with our community and actually I got one of the wristbands for our organization also I've been working with to do gun violence. Uh, so basically we're just trying to get young men, like mostly young men of color, like to the table, like to discuss about gun violence and the uh, issues about it and how like we can really fix these problems. Shout out to you guys. And, and I want to tell you guys, this is that um, it, it, it breaks my heart, man, when we use, when we lose it, one, when we lose human life in general, but two, you know, the reality is, man, we are, because we're all men of color, we, we're going to have a natural bond. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, I, I hate when people try to brush around and like, oh, like, why? like, no, it's just natural. Like, it's just natural. And so when I see young brothers of color that are, are getting into stuff that they shouldn't, it pains me, man. I had, I had some of my friends at a young age killed because of gun violence. I have a cousin of mine that was killed about six or seven months ago from gun violence at a grocery store. And the person that killed him was a the same color as him and, and and so the hard part for me man and, and this is what i have my hard time a hard time wrapping my head around the community wants law enforcement to hold each other accountable and i agree like we need to hold each other accountable 100 percent. but we have an obligation as men of color to hold ourselves to hold our, our, ourselves accountable mm-hmm. and, and we always like to deflect like we like to deflect like no well we don't worry about that we're worried about what you guys are doing to our people it's like how can you get the rest of the world to really value the value the African American life if we don't even value ourselves? Okay. That's what's hard. That topic yet, Ryan? I don't know. They, they, exactly, and, and and people aren't ready, but we need it. Like 
we need to be honest with ourselves. Like, how can we expect the rest of the world to value our lives if we don't even give the illusion we value ourselves? Because on one minute, you know, all of our songs, the things that we put out, you know, talking about, you know, the drugs, the guns, and this, this, and that. But yet we get mad when a guy, George Floyd, unjustifiably dies by the hand of a white officer. And now we're out in the streets. But yet we didn't do that for a little man that died last week from gun violence. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to treat, like, like I always say, if we're going to call a spade a spade, let's, let's call a spade a spade. We got to come with, like we in my community, we got to come with that same energy. If we don't come with that same energy for, for George Floyd, we better come with that same energy for our own. So shout out to you guys for, one, wanting to address gun violence, because gun violence, man, it, it, it's, it's a huge thing right now. And, you know, people can get access, people have access to guns at a remarkable level. And not just because people can go buy a gun. Every gun I've taken off the street, it wasn't lawfully owned. So it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily come down to the laws because every gun I pulled off the street, it wasn't lawfully owned. It was stolen. And so what we have to realize is that we have an obligation to address the gun violence. Gun violence is real. We have an obligation as African-Americans to hold our own accountable as well as th the same thing I'm doing as Breaking Barriers United. I'm holding officers accountable, but because I'm holding officers accountable, it gives me power to hold the, com the community accountable and vice versa. Well, we got to take that same concept into our own community. If we're going to hold police officers accountable, let's make sure we're holding our own accountable as well. And it should be like that across the board. And that's where I think we're missing the vote in a lot of these things is because we only hear the noise when it's sexy. And, and I hate to use that word, but hey, white man kills black guy. Oh, shoot. I can run with this all day. And now, and, and I, I said this early on an earlier podcast, and you guys may or may not agree with me, but I say right now, today, today is May 28th. Today, May 28th, George Floyd's life is important to almost the whole world right now. His life is important to the whole world. His life matters to the whole world right now. Everybody's and talking about it. Yep. In two or three weeks, will we still hear the words of George Floyd? Because yeah. the, reali the reality of it is, is, NFL will probably start up. There'll probably be some new trending news. There'll probably be some more COVID-19 news. And George Floyd's name is going to slowly start to fade from everybody except the fam the ones he met closest to. The way we keep George Floyd's memory going on and getting and his legacy moving on is by going out and doing work to get make the system better. That's how we keep moving his name forward. Got to fix the holes. We got to fix the holes so we can exactly. stop the leak. So I tell people, yeah, it's easy to get on Instagram and share a hashtag. It's easy to get on Instagram and say, oh, the system is broken. Okay, yeah, the system is broken, but what are you doing to fix it? Mm -hmm. And that's my frustration right now. Because um, as I said before, we, we, we've seen this. We've seen acts like this. Um, you talk about violence that takes place in our own backyards. Uh, we get all excited and mad and frustrated and want to go, you know, challenge the world when something happens outside of our own cities. But we know we don't even take care of home. So that's what that, uh, that upsets me the most. Um, you know, and, and I will give you guys my all. Like, you know, if anybody asks me, hey, what are you doing? I can stand confidently in saying, hey, man, I'm doing after school programs. I'm in these schools. I'm in these police departments talking to these cops that need to be held accountable. I'm on social media. I got a, I got a podcast. Not to say look at Ryan Tillman, but to say, hey, look, I'm putting action behind my words. But you know why it's so hard for people to do that is because it requires work. Mm. And a lot of people don't want to work. Can I ask something to that? You talk about how like, people are going to be forgetting about this in a few weeks. And I was mentioned this earlier when we were on the Zoom chat. 
that when you have like these protests about Black Lives Matters, you always have them screaming, getting angry, but it only lasts for what, a couple of days? And I, it brings me back to the civil rights movement in the 60s. Like this movement was a movement that happened for years. Like they kept on marching on the streets, begging for change. And it ultimately did happen. And you gotta remember the president at the time, LBJ, he threw the N word like it was nothing. And but he was the one who ended up signing up to signing the civil rights bill into act. That took real movement. It took protests. It took doing this constantly, constantly. And I feel like with every time these like police shootings happens, they get out into the streets. They even get violence, but that still don't do nothing because what you're you're just going to do it for a couple of days and just hope things just change. No, this has to be a constant movement. It has to be ongoing. Exactly. And and the sad thing, imagine you're one of those business owners who's caught whose freaking business went up in flames. Mm-hmm. And when all the dust settles, everybody went back to that house, but you got to come back to a business that's, that's in rubble because somebody got mad of a person that passed away. But yeah, now they're back to their day job, not even worried about your business. Yep. And that's the problem. And today, with everything going on COVID, money right now is scarce. It's scarce. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's down. We're in a depression. And to all these buildings being burnt, how do you think these people are going to pay for it if the government is not even willing to give you any money? Mm. Especially our own community. And one of the reasons we're struggling in our own communities is because we don't have money and in, 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 we don't have money in our, in our communities. You know what I mean? And so if we're burning the buildings down that generate the money for our communities, we're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I get passionate, man. I appreciate all this dialogue, man. You, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys, man. I've never met you guys in person, but man, just knowing that I'm not in this fight alone and, you know, it, it's hard. I was telling somebody there's a challenge for me is because, you know, I've taken a heat from people in my own profession. I what I do. about that, Ryan? I wanted to ask you what, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, bro. No, you're good. I wanted to know about how your peers, your colleagues, your, your brothers in blue respond to, um, I don't want to call it activism, but your, your approach to. His wokeness. Yeah, you being a woke. That was a socially distance pound over there. Um, but you're, you're, you're just being present and really knowing what's going on, man. How, like, how do they respond to that? Because these are brothers that when y'all out in the field, y'all got each other back, but some of them may not necessarily agree with some of the things that you do outside of work. And I you know, know who are you all the time, but. You know, a majority, I would say, I get a majority of people support me, which is cool, man. And I think one of the coolest things is when I get other officers that hit me up that want to stand with me. I'm like, man, like that's how I know we're moving forward. And not only that, man, my, my chief was telling me that uh, a lot of new guys that are coming in the door, coming to my department, they're coming because they follow the movement and they want to do the same things I'm doing. That's hope because now we got a new generation of officers that are coming in with a different mentality. But there are the haters. <laughs> and I've had my fair share of them. And it's not – I don't think it's necessarily because – I'm calling bad or I'm calling bad out. I think it's just because any like anything else in life, when you start to have success, people don't like to see that, man. It is, and, and, I, and I've experienced that on the law enforcement end, but also people with close friends, very, very close friends and family that we don't necessarily talk anymore. And it's like, it's because they're missing the whole point. And, and, and my personal belief is that, you know, when you're doing something for the right reasons and you're having success and doing it and God is leading the way, you're going to have those people that are always going to hate. And I've just come to accept it. I embrace it. I embrace the hate because it's like, hey, look, like you're only helping me get stronger as a person. So that way I can develop my faith. My faith walk is getting stronger and stronger by your hate. So keep right. bringing it. Because the more you bring it, 
the more I'm about to get stronger. So it is what it is. It, used to, it was hard at first, though. I will tell you, it was definitely hard at first. Well, Ryan, um, we're going to start wrapping up. But before you go, we got to ask you some questions. And I'm going to let Daniel lead this one right here. So I'm going to pass it over. All right. So, uh, Ryan, one of the things that we always do with anyone that comes on to the podcast is we ask them 20 questions. And Ooh. these 20 questions, some of them are, are multiple choice. But uh, for the most part, they're just whatever, the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, cool. All right. So we're going to run through them. Good. All right. Go so ahead. what's your favorite restaurant in your hometown? Favorite restaurant in my hometown? Oh, golly. Uh, in and out All right. We're going to have to go do some research on in and out All right. So in Buffalo, just, just to give you some context, if you ever come to Buffalo, you got to have pizza and wings. Oh, but um, Oh, yeah. Why would I not go to Buffalo and not get no Buffalo wings? <laughs> so this question is, what do you prefer, pizza or wings? Oh, pizza. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> what's the best pizza spot out there? In case we get a Mexican visit. <laughs> Golly, man. Y'all hit me hard, man. Uh, I like this place called Porky's Pizza. My kids don't like it, though, but I, I love it, man. It's, it's, it's authentic. What, what, <laughs> what toppings do you, eat, do you eat on your pizza? Sausage and pepperoni. Uh, you ain't got to kill the sausage for me. But all right. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite place to visit in Cali? All of Cali. Ah, uh, man. Favorite place to visit? Mmm... The, the anything beach related so any beach that we have san diego newport wherever anything if it got water i, I want to visit all right you are you out there bay watching it up all right cool man, i'm trying try, i gotta look sexy man 2020 summer 2020 <laughs> <laughs> i'm mad at it uh what's the uh what would you say the most slept on outdoor spaces in cali mm. the most slept on yep uh man probably the mountains okay okay the mountains we, uh, where I live in Cali, it was funny. I had my buddy AJ out, and he was like, I was like, bro, where I live, you can go to the mountains and the beach in the same day. Yeah, that's dope. Oh, yeah. Because I live right in the middle. I live right in the middle. So I'm about 45 minutes away from the mountains, and I'm about 45 minutes away from the beach. Oh, man. It's a perfect situation. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dope. The cost of living ain't worth it, I'll tell you that. Supposed <laughs> <laughs> to be broke out here. I heard you bring up DJs earlier when you uh, when you were talking about Vegas. So who's your favorite DJ? Mm. Right now, my favorite DJ is uh, this girl. Her name is uh, DJ Liv, uh, DJ Olivia. She's like nine. Uh, no, she's probably a little than that, like eleven years old. But she she fire. I'll send you her, her thing. But her, the good people, they got a great story. Come from Chicago, young girl. All the um, all the like DJ Khaled, P Diddy, they all rock with it. Act they live locally, so I know them personally. All right, we got a pretty famous DJ right here in house, man. My oh man, yeah, Jay gets uh, Jay gets busy over there, so you know. Ooh, okay, I know I know who to get uh, from my party then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, your favorite sports team? 49ers and Lakers. Yeah, y'all lost that Super Bowl though. Mm-hmm. Hey, you ain't got to bring up old wounds. Hey, y'all didn't y'all weren't even in the picture though. But my bad. You ain't oh, about to do Washington, that. We no, coming this year. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. Um, person you admire the most in your industry? Yo, in my industry? Uh, dang, that's a hard one. I would probably say my other buddy in this is uh, AJ. Oh, no, it's a popo. Because we in this together, man. And we bounce things off each other's ideas. All, off, bounce each other off each other all the time, man. So probably him. All right. I'm about to put you in a real jam right here. Oh. LeBron, Kobe, or Jordan? Oh, come on, dog. All right. It goes Jordan, Kobe, Bron. 
right, all right. We okay. we good. We good. Okay. I, don't, I don't even think I gotta ask you nothing. Yeah, <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, Jordan Kobe Brown, man. Like this something completely different. I ain't even gonna hold you. Yeah. I thought, oh yeah. No. No. I no. no, no. I, LeBron, I, yeah. I like LeBron, but man, no. Nah, when we after having the Mamba, you can't. There's no way, man. It was just. There's a book. I don't know if you guys read. Like, like to read books, man. But there's a book called. Uh, Actually, no, y'all do. I see all those books behind y'all. <laughs> um, it's called Relentless by Tim Grover. And he was a trainer for, have you guys heard of this book? Yeah, I, he was. A I'm a Kobe fan, so yeah. Yeah, so he was a trainer for Jordan. He was a trainer for Kobe. And he was a trainer for Dwayne Wade. I'm yeah. actually really good friends with his friend. And so it's a phenomenal book, man, really called Relentless. And it talks about that Mamba mentality was really a relentless mentality. But that's what keeps me relentless to what I do. I love that. Soul food, American, Italian, or Spanish? Soul food all day. All Caffeine, right. some greens, cornbread. All right. You're making me hungry, man. Favorite city to visit? Oh, favorite city. Uh, probably Vegas, man. I love Vegas. Hey, well, I peeped that earlier. All right. I love Vegas. I have to hit you up next time I come on that side. Let, of the me, know. Let me know. I don't know how much connections I got, but I'm going to try to act like I got the connections, even though I really don't. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Mark, we good. We good, dog. Uh, music artist that's uh, in heavy rotation right now for you. Oh, man. That's kind of hard, man, because I ain't really been – I just listen to a lot of old school, man. We have this station out here called 93.5, so a lot of early – Nothing wrong with that. 90s stuff, late, late 90s. Not the trash. That's mostly podcast. Not the trash. Oh, yeah. And Xavier listen to. Now. Oh, see, Come don't on. do that. Don't do that. See, yeah, I'll – I don't know, man. I don't, I don't really have no fan. I mean, I like Kendrick. I like I like Drake. I mean, but I'm not rocking with nobody super heavy like I used to. Not like because I, I think it's different now. Right. Uh, favorite podcast? Oh shoot, mine. <laughs> oh, I see that. Oh, it's time to go. That's all we got, folks. It's not. <laughs> you know that, you know that was a subtle oh, question right there, Ryan. <laughs> no, 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 real talk though. Uh, you guys, phenomenal podcast. Mine's It's Needed Podcast, but I'd be on this one. For, you guys ever seen that show, Forensic Files? No. Yeah. Oh, Forensic That's Files. You talk about the TV show, right? Or the podcast? Yeah. No, they got a TV. They got a, well, they got a TV show, but they got a podcast. It's just like the TV show, bro. Oh. I mean, it's funny, man. When I'm at work, because it's like, and if, if you've never seen it, it's like they, like, they do these investigations to find out how people die. break everything down. I love yeah, it. So, so when I'm at work, I'd be acting like I'm all this expert and stuff, but I just saw it on Forensic Files. <laughs> Right. I know the answer to this already. I think I do. Uh, Kevin Hart, Denzel, Martin Lawrence, or Will Smith? Oh, come on, dog. <laughs> I'm jamming you up today, man. You can't do that to me, bro. That, oh, man. Oh, golly, bro. All right, so do put them in order? Or just, I'll, I'll put them in order. So for me, it's going to go Will. No, 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 no. I'll tell you back. For me, it's going to go Denzel. It's going to go Denzel. Will Smith, okay. Martin Lawrence, Kevin Hart. Boom. Right, I can respect right. that. Boom. That's, 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 I like that. That's probably the proper order. This one I'm coming off the dome with. Uh, lethal Weapon or Bad Boys? Which, bad, boys. bad Boys. Bad Boys. Right. Right. I mean, I appreciate the old school Lethal Weapon, but hey, bad, they, did, they, did a, they did it too sweet in Bad Boys. That's probably one of the reasons why I'm a cop, man. Shoot, I, I saw that. I was like, man, <laughs> sign me up today. Man, right? Yeah. Everybody wanted to meet Mike Lowry. <laughs> yeah, Mike Lowry. I, I'm still waiting on my Porsche, though. <laughs> the suits, the cars, the smoothness, the girls, everything. But yeah. everything. all right, we're gonna get a little sentimental. All right. Uh your favorite father child activity. 
Man, uh, Dan, that's that is sentimental because my pops, man, he's he's been in his deathbed, or I don't want, I don't hate to call it his death, but he's been he's been bedridden for four years with MS, and so he's not the same as he used to be. But uh, I think for me and him, it was I think just conversations, man, just that at the time I didn't appreciate, but now I appreciate the conversations I had with him. You know what I mean? And so I just think just the time, time in general. Um, and that's understated, man. I, can't, I mean, I can't be understated, especially when we live in a generation with a lot of young men growing up without dads in their home. Like, if you're a dad out there, man, all your kids want is time. That's all they want, just time. Okay, how about with your own children? Time, bro. Okay. Right. Time. Because it, it, don't, it don't matter what we can do. It can be flying the little drone. My son loves flying the drone, playing video games, but at the pool, but just time, bro. Because one of the things about, and I'll bring this back and I'll close on this, but one of the things about being in law enforcement that it really does, man, it really just showcases the, the value of human life. And, like, and it also shows how vulnerable we are. Like I, I go on death investigations frequently. And when I go on death investigations, it's like, man, like you don't realize how precious life is. Like your life can end in a poof. And so I just really just value my time because I, I know that the next second I can be gone, especially with this back injury. Right. <laughs> All right, man, we got two more and then I'm gonna kick it to Dwayne and yeah. wrap it up. Uh, best advice that you ever received? Be yourself. Be yourself, don't change for nobody. The only time you need to change is if you're doing something that's unmoral and unethical. But if you are an ethical, a moral man, and if you have a solid foundation spiritually, don't change for nobody. Don't compromise. Don't be somebody you're not. Mm-hmm. All right. Last one is your biggest fear. Not being able, not, um, my biggest fear is one, not walking with Christ, and two, not exhausting my talents and gifts that the good Lord gave me. My biggest fear is to leave this earth and not have exhausted everything I had in me, you know, by the time I leave. Everything else will take care of itself. My kids, my wife, health, all that stuff. God will give me the perfect peace to get through that, even if it's tragedy. But my biggest fear is leaving knowing that I could have did more. Respect, respect. I'm going to thank you personally for for going through the gauntlet with me just now. Hey, well, kind of. Forever, baby. Kind of forever, man. Um, I'm also gonna <laughs> invite to you if you uh, if you ever have time and you want to jump on one of our Zoom calls, man, to just kick it with all of our young men that are in the program. Feel free, man. I love to do it. Definitely there. Okay. Definitely. Uh, you count me in, man. I, I'm busy, but I'll make time for sure. All right. Cool. All right, y'all. It's time to wrap up. It's about that time. It's been real, of course. That we always get down deep and gritty with it. So. I want to thank you all for tuning in to the Breaking Beers podcast. Please rate and subscribe on all social media platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. And a big, big, big shout out at our partners at Say Yes Buffalo, the Greater Buffalo Racial Equity Roundtable, and the Community Foundation for Greater Buffalo. We thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate the love. We appreciate all the support. And keep in mind, y'all, we all in this together. We out. Peace. Peace, Ryan. Peace out. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Breaking Barriers podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you follow us on all of the streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. For more information about Breaking Barriers, visit our website at www.breakingbarriersbuffalo.org.